All right, guys, well, good morning. Go ahead and have a seat. There you go. Hey, uh, if I haven't got a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake. I just met Kim literally like two seconds ago. She walked up here as I was starting to talk. Kim, great to meet you. <laughs> good to meet you, too. And I met Mark for the first time. Glad you guys are all here. Uh, welcome to the new year. I know everybody has said that to you thus far. Uh, this time I was thinking, you know, instead of jumping into a series or something that we're jumping into right off the get-go, I thought we would do kind of a one-off, uh, this kind of this concept about a movement and the making of a movement. And so that's what we're going to do today. Um, and as all pastors do, they always start off with Webster's definition of a, of a word. And so I'm going to do that as well. Uh, here's what it is. The movement that we're talking about today is a group of common people working, and here's a familiar word, together to advance a common idea. So it's a group or a collective of people who have similar interests that are working together, they're, they're partnering together, they're doing the same thing, putting the same effort together to advance a common idea or a common goal. Almost every movement starts, um, starts small, starts slow. It's got to start somewhere. It starts with a few people, a few, a, a small collective of individuals that get together. And then what they do is they start moving into a direction in one in unison. And what will happen is normally either there'll be a big moment that happens that creates this movement that, that, that moves it, or momentum will just start to take over. And momentum comes, and pretty soon it turns into this huge, amazing, crazy, powerful, unstoppable force, kind of like a snowball falling down a hill. It gains a little bit of speed and could eventually even turn into an avalanche, if you will. And it changes the landscape. And a movement can change everything. And so what I want to do is to start us off is to look a little bit at a few movements uh, that, have, that have taken place historically of American history. So go with me, a little history lesson here. Uh, in 1776, there was the American movement. This was the beginning. A few oppressed people decided that they wanted to step out, do something different. So they established this beautiful country that we live in called the United States of America. In 1820, there was the temperance movement. You may or may not have heard about this. I find it very interesting. All the churches back in that day decided that they wanted to get together and to outlaw alcohol. Uh, didn't work. So, uh, and you can imagine what it would be like if we tried to do that now. It wouldn't work as well. 1830s, we have the abolition um, uh, the movement. And this is where they began. Um, you know, a few people, brave people, decided that they wanted to stand up and, and say that uh, slavery should be abolished. And it was great as that took place. In 1848, we've got the women's rights movement. Uh, sadly, unfortunately, today it seems like we're still in that debate um, and that ladies don't have all the same rights or all the same privileges as uh, us, us men do. Uh, and so uh, it's still kind of going on today. In the 1900s, there was the progressive movement. This is interesting. It was a widespread social activism time. Uh, and actually, during the midst of that, they were battling over uh, child labor laws. And I read a statistic that apparently 33% of all labor during that time was kids under the age of 16 years old, uh, which is nuts. In the 1955, uh, 1955-50s area, there was a civil rights movement where one man had a dream. Uh, for social justice, no matter what type of skin color that you had. And I'm glad that he had that dream. In 1960s, there was the hippie movement. Uh, some of you actually were a part of that. That is peace, love, and the pursuit of Woodstock, from what I hear. 1971, a little closer to home, we had the espresso movement begin. <laughs> Starbucks was born, and uh, we've been addicted ever since. Uh, 1982, the mullet movement began. <laughs> <laughs> 
I hate to say, and unfortunately, this one is still going on today in small pockets of the U.S., kind of in the Midwest, in, in my hometown of Eatonville, Washington. Uh, 1990s, the technological movement started. This is personal computers, cell phones, and of course, Al Gore inventing the internet. In 2004, we have Facebook, the Facebook movement. Uh, the sole goal, apparently, is to rid the world of all physical and face-to-face -face interactions. Um, seems to be working pretty well. 2008, I don't get this one at all, but the planking movement. <clears throat> Truly have no idea the purpose of this thing, but it came and it went, thank goodness. 2010, there was a photobomb movement. Everybody was about photobombing someone else's photos, still a favorite pastime of mine. Uh, in 2012, there was the Macklemore haircut movement. Uh, I'm not sure if you were a part of that, but this thing took the world by storm. But I do want to take note that this was a resurgence from a movement in 1995. This is me right here, graduating high school. <laughs> same haircut, same thing. I feel like Macklemore ripped me off, but we're all good. 2013 was the selfies movement. Uh, we all love, we got to admit it, we love to look at pictures of ourselves, but in 2013, we all had a camera in our hand and the freedom to take pictures, endless amounts of pictures of ourselves. Uh, 2014, dang it, there was the man bun movement. <laughs> Let's just be honest, this was a mistake, a complete mistake, and so thank goodness in 2015, there was the cut the knot movement. This was a real deal. People would go around to strangers and cut the bun out of their hair. If you haven't seen it, you can look online. It's hilarious. 2016, we got the Snapchat filters movement. That's not, my, right. <laughs> that's not right at all. Garrett's saying it's not right, but my family loves this thing. They love this. Uh, and then in 2017, I don't know if you know about this, the fidget spinners. Anybody have a fidget spinner? Yeah, exactly. So I, if you have kids, you probably have one of these things. Anybody try them, use them yet? They are amazingly addictive. My kids have them hanging around the house, and I find myself constantly just holding them, and then I mean, the feeling, this is amazing. If you've not tried it, you've got to try it. They, they glow. They have knives on the end of some of them. It's really dangerous. So <laughs> that's Percy's. We, just, we give that one to Percy. But... Movements in themselves can be powerful. Often they are powerful. They change things. They change things sometimes for the good, some things like the man bun for the not so good, right? And then they, of course, correct themselves. But they can change the landscape, like I said. They change the landscape around us, and they also can change the landscape within us. And so today, I want to be very clear with what we're shooting to do. The reason I wanted to talk about this is because I really believe that we need a movement, Truly, you could call it a revival, you could call it whatever you want, but the church, capital C, and this little church as well, we need a movement. It, we, something has to change. Let me give you the stats of our current cultural situation. Nationally speaking, there is an average of 5,000 churches closing every single year. Between five to 7,000 churches are closing, shutting their doors every single year. One out of every four Americans that you were to talk to would actually say that they have no religious affiliation or no religious preference right now. If you talk to a millennial, that's one out of three. They're not saying that we are not non-Christian. They're just saying we want nothing to do with religions. They have no preference. They're being called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, nuns. In Washington state, we are the third highest state um, of population of having these nuns in our population. It is 
37% say, I want no religious affiliation whatsoever when it comes to the state of Washington. Um, To give you a comparison, the Protestant church of which we are a part of, we are at 34%. So there are more people that say, I want nothing to do with church in this area than there are who say that I am a Protestant Christian. 44% of people in the state of Washington have never been to church. 44%. 40% of them say that they have never even prayed. Friends, it has become culturally more costing for a person to say I'm a Christian than the benefits of outweighing in, in our culture's mind. It has become difficult and the church is struggling and my heart is broken in this process. And it's not gonna get fixed by doing the same old thing that we just keep repeating and putting church on repeat. We have to do something different. We have to shake things up. That's why I'm saying we need a movement. And it's not just cannot be just me hanging up here and a pastor is coming up each Sunday morning. That what we are currently doing is not working. So therefore, we have to change things up. So the big question is this, is how do you start a movement? How do you intentionally start a movement? What does it take? Are there any common characteristics or are there any traits, any clues, any markers that we can follow? Now, I am no expert when it comes to uh, the modern day movements or I don't have a degree in anything like this, but I got to imagine if we're going to get some kind of clue, if we're going to get an inkling of an idea, then we should probably look at the greatest movement in the history of movements, and that was the Jesus movement. Okay, and I'm not talking about the one in the 70s. I'm talking about the one that began it all, the one that split time, A.D. and B.C. It created Christianity. It was known as the way, and it is the birth of the, of the local church. It's the birth of the, the church the, at large. And so let's look at that. I want to look at the very beginning, the very opening chapters of this movement, and it began in Matthew 4 with the calling of the first disciples. Here's what it is, verse 18. It says, while walking, so Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who would later be called Peter, and Andrew, who is also one of my favorite disciples, his brother. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Verse 19. And when he saw, or, 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 and he saw them, um, and here's the invitation, he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And I love this word. Immediately, they dropped their nets and followed him. That was the invitation. Follow. Jesus did not start off. He didn't butter them up. He didn't give any small talk. He didn't even give them a whole lot of direction. He basically, no details, just follow me. And their immediate reaction was simply to follow him. They got up and they immediately left after him. Now, here's the thing when it comes to following. These days, a whole lot is made about leadership, right? You can go to conferences, seminars, you can get books, there's classes. Everybody wants to know how they can grow and to become better leaders. But when I look at God's word, when we open up the pages of scripture, there's something that I see that's a little bit different. Jesus had a thing. God has a thing for followers, He is our great and fearless leader, and he has called us to be great and fearless followers of him, right? He didn't say, come and lead me. He said, come and follow me. And Simon and Andrew, they understood this. They got this. They didn't hesitate. They immediately, and you know, I think about this interaction. Truly, what was it like when Jesus all of a sudden asked them, what is it that they noticed? Is there something in Jesus's eyes? Right? Why did they immediately drop everything? Because they really did drop everything. 
Why did they go after him in that moment? Was it, was it his persona? Was it his personality? We know that in scripture, he wasn't popular at that point. He hadn't started doing all the massive miracles that he did in that time. So this was just the very beginning. It was an honor for someone to follow a rabbi, so maybe that was it. But whatever it was, they immediately stopped and they followed Jesus. Now the truth is, Jesus doesn't need any of us to make his movement happen. He chose us, catch that. He chose there to be followers, more specifically for us to be his followers. In order for there to be a movement, right, there has to be followers. And the role of the follower, right, has been understated throughout these years. It has been understated. It has been pushed down. But the role of the follower, according to Jesus, should be elevated. I wanna give you a quick little video picture of what I'm talking about here. I love this video. It's one of my favorite I've ever seen online. It's very difficult to watch in the sense that it has a, it bounces all over the place. The quality is completely poor, but listen to the message that is in here because it's absolutely powerful. So let's watch this real quick. If you've learned a lot about leadership and making a movement, then let's watch a movement happen start to finish in under three minutes and dissect some lessons. First, of course, a leader needs the guts to stand alone and look ridiculous. But what he's doing is so simple, it's almost instructional. This is key. You must be easy to follow. Now here comes the first follower with a crucial role. He publicly shows everyone else how to follow. Notice how the leader embraces him as an equal. So it's not about the leader anymore. It's about them, plural. Notice how he's calling to his friends to join in. See, it takes guts to be a first follower. You stand out and you brave ridicule yourself. Being a first follower is an underappreciated form of leadership. The first follower transforms a lone nut into a leader. If the leader is the flint, the first follower is the spark that really makes the fire. Now here's the second follower. This is a turning point. It's proof the first has done well. Now it's not a lone nut and it's not two nuts. Three is a crowd and a crowd is news. A movement must be public. Make sure outsiders see more than just the leader. Everyone needs to see the followers because new followers emulate followers, not the leader. Now here come two more people, then three more immediately. Now we've got momentum. This is the tipping point and now we have a movement. As more people jump in, it's no longer risky. If they were on the fence before, there's no reason not to join in now. They won't stand out, they won't be ridiculed, and they will be part of the in-crowd if they hurry. And over the next minute you'll see the rest who prefer to stay part of the crowd, because eventually they'd be ridiculed for not joining. And ladies and gentlemen, that is how a movement is made. So let's recap what we've learned. If you are a version of the shirtless dancing guy, all alone, Remember the importance of nurturing your first few followers as equals, making everything clearly about the movement, not you. Be public, be easy to follow. But the biggest lesson here, did you catch it? Leadership is over-glorified. Yes, it started with the shirtless guy, and he'll get all the credit, but you saw what really happened. It was the first follower that transformed a lone nut into a leader. There's no movement without the first follower. See, we're told that we all need to be leaders, but that would be really ineffective. The best way to make a movement, if you really care, is to courageously follow and show others how to follow. When you find a lone nut doing something great, have the guts to be the first person to stand up and join in.
Now, just to be really clear, I am not going to take off my shirt and start dancing. It's not going to happen. Thank you for that, yes. I almost want to now because you clapped. <laughs> no, the, I don't know if you caught that. The power is, it's really difficult to start a movement, right? But where's the key? It's in the first followers. If we're going to make a difference in the Christian community, or not even in this community as a whole, as a Christian community, we have to be some of the first followers. And it's, it's a big step to jump out there, right? It's scary to step out there. Nobody's dancing like that in the Christian community. We should be, because we have the joy of Jesus in our heart. We have something that the rest of the world does not have, and we want, it, we want to share that with them. But yet, we have this insecurity. You saw those first couple followers jumped out there, and they went for it. They went for it with the lone nut, right? Our lone nut, it's Jesus. And if you don't think that he's crazy, you don't think he's a little bit nuts, you should read the New Testament again, because people thought he was crazy. They truly did. They said he was out of his mind. And he wasn't, because what he had was truth. We have truth as well. And so what I'm asking and saying is we got to start a movement. We truly do. Jesus modeled it. He modeled it through the church, and the movement will only go as far as the followers will take it. He is our fearless leader. We are to be his fearless followers. And so for the next few minutes, what I want to do is I want to talk about a few characteristics of what does it mean to truly follow Jesus on this level, to this way. And the reason why is because if we're going to start a movement, then we've got to lean into some of these things. So here's the first one. What does it mean to be a fearless follower? Number one is we got to be completely committed. Completely committed. Did you see when that, those first guys jumped in? They were going just as nuts as the lone nut. It was crazy. They jumped right in. They were committed. The passage in Matthew that we were just talking about, it continues, and here's what it says. It says, verse 21, going on from there, and so they're going on from where Jesus just recruited Peter and just recruited Andrew. He, Jesus, saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing the nets, so they were also fishermen. Jesus called to them, and here's, what he, here's that word again, and immediately they followed, or they left their boat, they left their father, and followed him. They left everything. They truly left everything. They left their father, which actually means that they left their family. Whatever they had, they went forward. And for three years, they were Jesus full time. Peter and Andrew, it says they left their nets. That means they left their business. And they actually just got at that moment the biggest payday that they had ever seen in their fishing lives. And they left their nets with all the fishing, fish in it on the shore and they followed Jesus. That's commitment. And in fact, they were so committed that all of these disciples actually died for their faith. They gave their lives up with the exception of John. They were fully, fully committed. What were they committed to? They were committed to their leader, Jesus. They were committed to him and what he said, and he's given us a roadmap in his word. This is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to behave. This is what I want you to share. He's given us that. And they were committed to that. They were committed to the mission. They were committed to Jesus. They were fully, completely, and wholeheartedly committed. That's the first thing that we need to be if we're going to create a movement. The second thing we need to be is slightly crazy, okay? Like our leader, if you will. I mean this, slightly crazy. 
Now, the other day, actually back in, in, in October, I went and to go to Oktoberfest. And I've never been to Oktoberfest, but my daughter was invited to Yodel at Oktoberfest. So we went there. And as we were walking in, there was a crazy lone nut on the street corner with a sign that said, all drunkards go to hell. And as we were coming in, he was one of those street screamers without the uh, megaphone, and he was just yelling and talking and telling people that they're going to hell if they're going in here on their way in. And I remember walking in, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Like, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but your heart is like, man, this is not good. This is not effective. This is passing out the wrong message. But he believed that he was giving the right message, right? And so when we went by, he started dialoguing with us, literally just addressing us. And I said, man, there's a better way. You know, there's a a better way. And he's like, well, if there is, then what is it, right? And he said that. And my mother-in-law, who just happened to be with me, if you've met her, sweet, kind little Jill, turns around and goes, love, you know? (laughs) I'm like, you tell him, right? And so we go in, and we go in there, and we get into the, the, big, uh, the big auditorium. There's thousands of people coming in here and pouring in, and it's super hot. So my family, they're, we were getting all hot, and we realized we cannot wear these coats, these big coats in here, but we have nowhere to set them. So I grabbed all the coats and then walked the long journey back out to the car, and on my way back in, I'm standing right here. There's the street and there's the guy. And he's looking at me like he knows me kind of a thing. And I can hear the person on my right talking to me about, um, like, they were definitely Christians. And they were literally saying out loud how terrible this is, that that I hate being associated with this. On the other side, I literally heard someone saying and talking about how um, Christians are all crazy. And, and, And to agree, I'm saying that's actually true but not this kind of crazy. And so truly, I walked down and he, he pulled me out of the crowd. He literally said, you. And I'm like, oh my gosh, is he looking at me as we're going through? I'm walking through with a huge crowd of people. He goes, you, do you know where you're going when you die? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know. And so I started to have a conversation with him because there was no getting out of it. Um, I tried to talk to him, tried to reason with him. I realized there was no reason with him. I tried to debate him. I explained to him that he's taking his scripture out of context because there was even Noah who was drunk. So I asked him, did Noah go to heaven? And he said, yes. And I'm like, well, Noah was drunk, you know, and, uh, um, and God forgave him. And so um, I told him there's a better way. There's a better way. I appreciate, I told him this. I said, brother, and he said, don't call me brother. I'm not your brother. I'm like, oh, right? I said, brother, I appreciate your courage. With all my heart, I do. But there is a better method. And my mother-in-law told you about it, right? It's love, is it not? We are crazy as Christians. We may put little fish on the back of our bumpers. That doesn't make us crazy. Some of us homeschool our kids. Some of us scream from a corner. But the crazy I'm talking about is not the crazy of screaming on the corner, all those little things. The crazy I'm talking about is how we respond to God's love, how we love other people. That's the crazy. We have been crazy loved. Why are we crazy? We're crazy because Christ loved us in the way that he did. We don't deserve it right? That's the core of Christianity. We don't deserve the grace that we've been given. And yet Christ loved us to the level that he loved us. And that is a lot. And in response to that love, Christ's love, we are to love others in that way. Here's what it says, actually. um, Jesus says this. He says, a new command I give you. And this is crazy because you got to think about these verses at the time that they were being written. He says, a new command. That means 
It's new. How many times have we heard this? A zillion times. But at the time he was speaking this, it was, there was no Bible, right? And he was literally saying, this is a new movement, a new command I give you. Here it is. Love one another. And then he gets specific. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And so how did Christ love? He loved sacrificially. He laid down his life. He gave love freely for us. By this, so, or by how we love sacrificially, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's how we should love. That's the craziness I'm talking about. So that when someone, you do something for someone or you care for someone in some way and they literally look at you and go, how could you possibly do that? You could say, because the love of Christ compels me, right? The love of Christ compels me. Actually, I skipped that verse. I'm gonna go back to that verse and hear this one right here. This is what Paul says. He says, if it seems we, and this is uh, talking about those who follow Christ, if it seems that we are crazy, there's that word, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are of right mind or in our right minds, it is for your benefit or for the benefit of the church or for others. Either way, whether we're crazier or in the right mindset, it is Christ's love that compels us. It's Christ's love that compels us 100%. My old pastor, Mike Howerton from, uh, from, um, uh, from Overlake, that's where I came from, yeah, so... <laughs> From Overlake, uh, he was there. He co- I don't know if he coined this phrase, but he said it all the time, nonstop, completely, over and over again. We talk about living missionally all the time. This was his phrase. He said that we need to love outlandishly. And I love that phrase. I love that phrase. In fact, I'm sad I told you Mike said it because I want to say that I said it because it's so good. Love outlandishly. Love to the point where people are not expecting you to love like that. Over the top. Over, over what anybody would think that you could possibly do. When we love like that, which is how Jesus loved, outlandishly, that's when people will take notice. That's when their heads will lift up. That's when they will look at us and go, oh my gosh, that's contagious. What's going on over there? And they're going to come look at what's happening at this movement that's being started. And so those are the first two things. Those are the first two things. As a follower, as fearless followers, we need to be completely committed to Jesus. And we need, and we will be, if we do it right, slightly crazy. The world's gonna look at us slightly crazy. And the last thing is we need to be intentionally missional. This is the words that we've been saying over and over again. Missional living since we started this church. If I can, can I share something with you? Like, this is home business. I don't know if you ever did this, but your dad would call you into the living room and he would say, hey, we got a family meeting. Family meeting moment. If you're new and you're visiting, welcome. You get to listen to our family meeting for just a couple seconds. When I'm introduced or I introduce myself to somebody, um, and actually, Mark, just now, I just did, I asked you this question when I met you, just for the first time. I will ask this question. How did you find your way here? Or, you know, like, how, how did you get here? When I meet someone for the first time at the church. And typically, what will happen is I will be told not, you know, some people will say, I found you online. Very few will say that. But most people will say, this person brought me. And this person that they reference, I just want you to know there's about five of you. About five. It's almost always the same five people. In fact, prior to the service, I sat in the office and I told um, Garrett I was going to talk about this, right? I was going to mention this, and then he literally was able to name the same five. 
like almost the exact same five that we were there. We were literally on the same page. Who are the people that bring all the people? There are five of them in this church. We are all supposed to be living missionally, right? And five of us are knocking it out of the park. And you're thinking, well, am I one of the five? Probably not. So (laughs) probably not. Because if you are, you know I've actually talked to you already and complimented you and tell you, man, what a great job you're doing. Not inviting people to church, hear me on that, but bringing people along, being bring-vitational, being inviting into life and having conversations about Jesus and having conversations about the gospel. We call them gospel conversations. Living missionally. And the word intentional, I put it there, intentionally, right? Is that, is are we living intentionally missional? I believe most of us, still family talk here right now, I believe almost all of you have the greatest intentions to live missionally, to share your faith. But we don't want to be that first follower because it's scary, right? We don't want to speak up and jump into with that lone nut because it looks like it's a little bit crazy. We don't want to. We don't, it's insecurity and I get that. And we have good intentions, but I'm telling you, if we want a movement, good intentions are not enough. They're just not enough. The good, the, you know, the, the, the good um, Samaritan would not be called the good Samaritan if he just had good intentions. He stopped and he helped. And what I am saying right here is that we have got to have beyond good intentions. We need to truly intentionally live missionally. If I were to say to my daughter, if she were to come up to me, and Paisley were to come up, and I would say, Paisley, can you go clean your room? And she were, to, she were to say, you know, like, okay, so she goes away. And she goes away, and then she comes back maybe like a half an hour later, and she says, Dad, I did it. I'm like, oh, you cleaned your room? No, I memorized what you said. You told me to go and clean my room, and I memorized it. I got it. I did it. Great job, honey. But I asked you to go clean your room. I know. I know I was supposed to do that, but I also learned it in Greek and in Hebrew. I learned how to say, go clean your room. And in fact, I even called someone on my on mom's phone, and we're going to have a group of people get together on a weekly basis, and we're going to talk about what it will be like if we were to go and clean our rooms, right? We're just going to get together weekly, and we're going to talk about it. And it doesn't fly, Right? It doesn't fly because what I asked Paisley to do is to go and clean her room. And yet, we're not not doing what God has asked us to do. Look at what Jesus said himself. He said, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? It seems kind of crazy, doesn't it? That if God is our master and he says, go and do this, and we say, I don't know if I want to, but I'll remember what you said. Right? It doesn't work. He also says this in Matthew. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. That's a scary verse, isn't it? That is a scary verse. Truly, good intentions, my friends, are not enough. And I believe, I mean, so many of you I've gotten to know, I know you have great intentions, But that's not going to start a movement. And if that doesn't start a movement, more churches will be closing and more people will not come to know the good news of Jesus Christ. And this wonderful peace that we have inside of us and this wonderful mission is going to fall on the wayside. And we're going to miss the opportunity that God put right in front of us. And so friends, I'm telling you, we need a movement. We truly need a movement. 
Not for movement's sake. I want to see the next chapter of this church, the next surge of this church, the next push that's going to happen here. Yes, there's a lot of people who say, well, wow, you guys got off to a very fast start. Great. But that wasn't the point to get off to a good start. The point was to make an impact in the community around us and to populate heaven. So I'm telling you straightforward, you know, as, as a pastor here, I'm not satisfied with where we're at genuinely not satisfied with where we're at. I, I don't feel like, I feel like, honestly, we've gotten a little too comfortable. This has become a little bit easy. And even those who started the church with us in the very beginning, it's like, ah, well, it's moving now. People are coming. I don't need to live missionally. No, this is the time to live missionally. This is it. This is the moment. This is when we need to lean in and join the lone nut of Jesus and do exactly what he says because he knows what he's doing. And we have to have the courage to be able to do so. We need a movement. We want to make disciples. That's what the movement Jesus started 2,000 years ago was. We want to make them together as a community. I can get up here. I can give it my best. I could dance in my underwear the best that I possibly could. I can shake. I can do the best like, like um, conversations, talks, messages I can possibly do. It's not going to change culture. The only thing that's going to change culture is a movement where people can come to this church authentically who they are in their pain, in their brokenness, and they can feel like they fit in. You know what? I, I feel fine here because we model that. We model authenticity. We model what it's like to carry our pain right here and talk about, hey, I'm in process. Oh, you're in process too? Awesome. Well, welcome to the kingdom of God. It's a great place to be. Here, a movement that will glorify Christ where we are completely committed, we're slightly crazy, and we're actually living intentionally missional. Missional living where we're bringing people to Jesus, not just bringing them to church, but bringing them to a relationship with Jesus. Inviting them into a life that God has set out for them in the very beginning of time. And friends, that's called the church but I do think we have to step it up. And especially in this new year, I do think we need to step it up. And maybe for some of you, it's like, oh man, preacher's getting angry. That's rough. I don't like this. This is a nice church when I came here. No, I, I'm just saying we've got to do this. I can't tell my daughter, clean your room, clean your room, clean your room, clean your room, clean your room. Jesus has said, go, 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 go. And make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is our mission. That is the movement that we need to have. We can't forget that, you guys. We can't shut it off. We can't just let it go out the wayside. We have got to move. And so my prayer for you and my hopefully your prayer for yourself is, God, give me the courage to step up. Give me the courage to step out on a limb and to follow your lead and to be one of those first. And if I get ridiculed and mocked, so be it. You will not be ridiculed and mocked when you step into heaven. Trust me on that one. You will be celebrated. You will be welcomed. It will be amazing. And that's what we're shooting for, not to populate this church, but to populate heaven. That's the goal. Amen? Amen. Guys, I want to be in this with you. I'm talking to myself at the same time in this. I want to be in this with you, but I don't want to start off this year and thinking we're just going to coast, right? We had this wonderful launch, but it's not time to coast. It's time to go. And if you're just coming in and you're picking this up right at this stage and like, well, I wasn't with you in the beginning. Great. Be with us now. Be with us now. We need to get out there and live invitationally. We need to get out there and live missionally. 
and share the love of Christ. Not just church, but the love of Christ. I want to do that with you. And, that's, and then in doing that, like Jesus said, he's gonna, we're going to change the world. We're going to change the world. Let's pray.